Now, how many of you would like to be newlyweds for life? I asked that question at our, uh, uh, a couple of days ago at our, our small group, and some of them were like, oh, man, our honeymoon was horrible, right? Well, mine wasn't, okay? <laughs> mine was awesome, right? I wish I could just stay on my honeymoon for the rest of my life. But then eight kids came along, and that kind of ruins that, right? You can't even have a honeymoon at home. Um, and, and so it kind of changes things, right? But how many of you would like to feel like you're on your honeymoon for life? That every day is exciting and fresh. Now, I love my wife. I love going home to my wife. I love spending time with my wife. I'd rather be with her than anybody else on the planet. But here, here's the reality of that is she abides by God's principles. She believes that God's word has everything that she needs for life and godliness. And so it's a blessing to be in my house. Now, of course we have conflict. My marriage isn't perfect. But we strive to do those things that God has called us in his word so that we can be like him and in turn be like him to one another. Be Jesus with skin where my wife trusts me and she trusts and I trust her. And for me, if I saw my wife walking out of a hotel room at 11.30 at night, my first thought is, who died, who had a heart attack, or who killed themselves? It wouldn't be, she cheated on me. It would, I, my mind wouldn't even go there. That is the kind of trust that we have. That is the kind of relationship that we have. But we had to work at it. We had to cultivate it. We had to invest in it. We had to do what it says in verse 21, submitting to each other. In the fear of Christ, or the fear of the Lord. We had to go back to verse 18 and constantly be being filled with the Holy Spirit so that we walk in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And those fruits are manifested out of our lives. But here's what I promise you. If you submit under the will of God and submit under the ways of God and submit under the word of God, what will begin to happen in your life is you will find that your relationships become healthy. You'll be able, you're able to forgive and let go of the bitterness. You'll find yourself being able to, to look at your parents with a different perspective, look at your kids with a different perspective, look at your spouse with a different perspective. And I will even say, and I would stand on this with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, even see God in a different perspective. Because the more we submit under his will, his way, his plan, and his word in our lives, the more of God's presence we have in our lives. And the more of God's presence we have in our life, the more we are filled with love, joy, and peace, contentment. We stand on the promises of God that all things are possible and nothing is too hard for him when he is on the throne of our heart and he begins to cultivate an intimate, personal, powerful relationship with him. I got a chart I want to show you real quick. And basically, this is, this is pretty much how simple it works. Husband, wife, Jesus. Notice that. The closer you get to God, the closer you get to Jesus, what happens? The closer you become with one another. It's a natural progression that flows out of your relationship and your submission to God and His Word. But we could put up there, we could put you and me, 
boss and employee. I mean, on and on it could go, right? As we draw close to the living God, because here's what I know. God is in the business of restoring stuff that is broken. God is a resurrecting God. Amen? He has the power to resurrect a body from the dead. Do you think he could resurrect your marriage? I think he can. I know he wants to. You see, the Lord fights for your marriage. He's willing to fight for your marriage harder than you are. But we have to look into the scriptures. Now, here's the cool thing. Here's the thought that I want you to really grab a hold of because everything has a context. Paul just doesn't say, okay, hey, and before you, and before you excuse this as, as, as some words written by some male chauvinist back in the ancient days, it is consistent from Genesis to Revelation. Okay? It is consistent. But here's what I want you to know. See, if you do not know your position in Christ, you do not have your identity founded in Christ and know the plan and the purpose he has for you and know the way he thinks about you, then you will not be able to do the part that Paul's telling us to do through the Holy Spirit. So we have to back up. We have to go to Ephesians chapter 1 because he lays out who you are in Christ. As a matter of fact, look at what he says. All he has done for us, he has blessed us. This is one Verse 1, uh, it's not one verse, it's verses 3 through uh, 14, but this is one sentence in the Greek. Paul said this in one breath through the Holy Spirit. He says, he's blessed us, chose us, predestined us, adopted us, accepted us in the beloved, redeemed us, forgave us, illuminated us, given us an inheritance, predestined us, saved us, sealed us, guaranteed us, and purchased us all in 3 to 14. So what he's saying there, he says, once you know your identity is in Christ, you don't need self-esteem, you need Christ-esteem. You need god <laughs> But once you see that you're seated in the heavenly places with Christ, and that he's loved you and chose you and adopted you and predestined you and given you an inheritance and sealed you with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is a guarantee of your salvation, Once you understand that, you're like, wow, God, you gave your life for me. You died on a cross. You bought me with a price. You were beaten, tortured, mutilated, beard ripped out, spit on, ridiculed, and all those things for me. Wow, man, man, now, Lord, maybe I can submit under what your plan, your purpose, and your will is for my life. Because I see my identity in Christ. I see my position in Christ. I see all those beautiful, wonderful things that you've done for me and how madly in love with you, madly in love with me that you are. Now I can do what you're calling me to do. Now I can obey you. Now I can submit under the authority and the word of Jesus Christ, God the Father. Do you see the beauty of that? The problem is most people don't know that our primary needs can only be met through a relationship with a promise-keeping God that tells us who we are in Christ and our position and our identity in Christ because it will be utterly impossible to submit to your husbands or it will be impossible for a husband to love his wife until he knows these things. Trust me, ladies, I see some of these guys you guys are married to. I pray for you a lot. 
I see who my wife's married to, so you can pray for me a lot. <laughs> right? She's so patient and long-suffering with me. Oh, my goodness. So we're going to look at a biblical basis for submission, not as the world sees it, not as with our own understanding, but by the Word of God. And so I want everybody to think for, with me for a minute. Do you remember the day that you met your spouse? Do you remember the time that you were first going to go out on a date with that person or hang out with that person? Do you remember that time? The excitement, the wonder, the awe of it all, right? And how excited you were and, and, and maybe you met at a bar. I don't know. I don't, maybe you don't remember it too well. I don't know. But I mean, I have met a lot of people that met their wives in bars. Um, but you, you couldn't wait to be together. And when you said, I, I do, you, you, you meant it for life. You, you thought it was going to last forever. You said, I do, and I'm in this, and, and, and I'm in a covenant with you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to grow with you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have kids with you, and I'm, it's going to be beautiful. And again, remember, if, you're, if you've been through a divorce, if you're widowed, uh, whatever it may be that's going on in your life, I want to encourage you that this, this, this message you can take and counsel young couples with your experience coupled with the Word of God and you can encourage people that have, that have broken relationships and encourage them to, to succeed because you have secrets that nobody else has. You have you experience that nobody else has that can be shared with the body of Christ. So I want to encourage you with that. God doesn't hate the divorcee. He hates divorce. It's a big difference. There's, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Past, present, and future. You're forgiven under the blood of Christ. I would encourage you to go back to the spouse that you divorced and ask their forgiveness, even if it was their fault for your part, to make sure you're right with God. But God makes all things new. He says that, right? And so I, I, my prayer is that you wouldn't be condemned. Now, Here's something that I want you to know. Marriage isn't a contract. If you and I enter into a business deal together and I put up 50% of the money, you put up 50% of the money, and the deal is that we're, all gonna, we're both going to work 10 hours a day, five days a week, and we're going to build this company together. And we sign contracts. And I, all of a sudden, decide that I don't want to show up for work anymore. I don't want to invest my time, my treasure, my talent into this contract anymore. Then you can what? You can get out of the contract. You can sue me for breach of contract, and it breaks apart. A covenant is different. A covenant was founded in the Garden of Eden with God. When he said, let us go down and make God in our own image, and he, and he, and he made wife and he, out of the rib of man, and put, and by, by the way, that's under here. You know what that means, right? That, that covering, you put your arm around your wife because the two become one flesh, and we'll look at that in great detail in a couple of weeks. And so it's founded there, that, co that covenantal relationship. Now, a covenant is different. A covenant means that I give 100% to my wife expecting absolutely nothing in return. And so that's what Jesus does with us. You're bought with a price. 
He makes a covenant with you. He is going to give 100% of his faithfulness, his grace, his mercy, and his love to you regardless of how you respond. Think about that. Because a lot of you think you need to earn favor with God. You cannot earn favor with God. It is literally impossible. You already have it when you come to his son, Jesus Christ, and you become forgiven. That's positionally in Christ. Your identity in Christ. That goes back to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Read that list over and over and over. You should memorize that chunk of scripture. And so a covenant is, I give 100% to my wife expecting nothing in return, and she gives 100% to me expecting nothing in return. The beautiful thing is, is if both people in that relationship do that, what's going to happen? It's going to become the most beautiful relationship on the planet. And I've heard it so many times that people are sitting in, in my office, they say, well, we're just not soulmates. Well, where is that in the Bible? We're just wrong for each other. We have irreconcilable differences. No, you're selfish. You're not willing to die to yourself. That's what irreconcilable differences mean in a marriage. That you're not willing to submit to one another in love and prefer one another, and you're most likely not be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because biblically there is no soulmates. There's people who pick up their cross, deny themselves, and follow Jesus. And guys, that's what makes a beautiful marriage. And so we come together and we, we try to outserve each other and outlove each other. And, and guys, you know, I'm going to, well, I'm not going to get into that. We'll get in, I'm, I'm going to beat up on the guys next week. So don't let your husband get out of it coming next week, okay, please? But, but here, Paul lays it out. He gives us this beautiful thing that God is doing and he wants to do in our lives. And, 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 and he says, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And real quick, I want to touch on what is the fear of the Lord or what is the fear of Christ? It is worshipful submission, awe, and obedience to a promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God. I'll repeat it. It's a worshipful submission Awe and obedience to a promise-keeping, covenantal, covenantal-keeping God. Well, Garrett, you just don't know my wife. Garrett, you just don't know my husband. And people come into my office all the time, and it's a, it, it is a, it's a crack-up. I mean, you know, well, I'll submit if he loves me. Well, I'll love her if she submits. Well, I'm loving each me. Stop! And we see it, right? And submission to one another in the fear of Christ is just too much for them to bear because they are unwilling to submit to the living God. 
Because if they were willing to submit unto a living, holy, righteous God that has purchased them and chose them and accepted them and adopted them and redeemed them and saved them and forgiven them and, and, and given them an inheritance and sealed them with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the guarantee of their salvation. If God, if they understood that, they would willingly submit unto a holy, righteous, loving, caring God and then naturally just submit to one another. And they think that what was too good for Jesus is too good for them. <laughs> I said that wrong, but you get the point. They don't understand that Jesus submitted to the Father. Guys, there, it's the beautiful thing. The biblical submission was modeled by our King. Jesus submitted to his Father. I mean, do you remember? He said, I always do the will of my Father. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he say? He says, not my will, but your will be done. Because Jesus knew the secret of submission. He understood Matter of fact, it'll be on the screen. Philippians 2, verse 5 says this. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Boy, after Wednesday, I had a problem with that one. My mind was not the mind of Christ. I had to repent. But let that mind be in you that is in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God, in other words, he was God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But what did Jesus do? Here he is. He's in glory. He's in magnificence. He's, the angels are singing, holy, holy, holy. He's on the, his throne and he's in glory and righteousness and power. Isaiah 12, I think it's 5 or 7. Isaiah saw that God high and lifted up, seated on his throne and the whole robe. Filled the temple and the Shekinah glory was there. That's a picture of Jesus. If you don't believe me, look up um, John 12. You can look it up on your own time. And he leaves that where Isaiah sees it and goes, whoa, I am undone. Oh, my goodness. Whoa, he's me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I'm a man of a, in the midst of unclean people. And then God, what does he do? He provides atonement for him. He takes the coal, cleanses his lips. But this is what Jesus left for you and for me. And he submitted himself, verse 7, but made himself of no reputation. He came in a manger, taking the form of a bondservant. He served, he washed the disciples' feet, even Judas's, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearances of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of of the cross is submission too hard for us because it was not too hard for Jesus. Well, it was hard actually. The cross was hard. I would say it this way is submission too good for us because it wasn't too good for Jesus. Verse 9 Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and under the earth that the, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Do you notice something here? Submission and humility and surrendering brought exaltation. And so in our relationships, 
When we surrender under the mighty hand of God and let God have his way in our lives and we trust in his word and we believe his word, what happens is, is God will exalt us in our marriages. God has your back because those who obey God, God has their back. God will always bless. Obedience always brings blessing. It's beautiful. And it's difficult for us humans, right? Because we're so selfish and we want what we want, right? But Jesus begins to change us and transform us and conform us into his image and give us his heart. We we begin to think and act differently and we realize it's more blessed to give than to receive. And what happens is is we start giving 100% in our marriages expecting nothing in return. And what what happens is, is all of a sudden everything changes. The dynamic changes. We begin to experience the blessing that God has promised us because we're being filled with the Spirit and submitting to one another in love. And God begins to work magnificently in our lives. And we begin to submit and love. We begin to prefer others. I mean, could you imagine what life would be like if we all preferred others? Especially our spouse. Can you imagine what our life would be if we served others, especially our spouse? You can't outgive God, but I can tell you this if you base your life around that principle of it's better to give than to receive in your relationship with your wife, you will see amazing things when God shows up in your marriage. Because I love, you know, my, we have eight kids. And I, one of the things that I really love is watching my wife with the, the little ones. So tender. So caring. So understanding. So long-suffering. So patient, right? But then like a totally different person, people can be. The wife can be with her spouse. All of us know people that won't submit to God, won't submit to the other people, won't submit to their boss, even bite the hand that feeds them at work and don't appreciate anything and Do you enjoy being around those types of people? Would you sign up to go on a vacation with those those people, right? No, right? Yet a lot of you as spouses act exactly the same way, uh, like a child, no other better way to say it. And then we don't have a choice but to go on vacation with you. (laughs) But it doesn't have to be that way, my friends. It does not have to be that way. Now look at verse 23 with me, if you will. I'll read from 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife. As Christ is the head of church, he is the Savior of the body. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says this, But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man. And the man is the head of woman, and God is the head of Christ. 
Now you can either believe that and trust that. He says it here in verse 23, but he also repeats it in a different way in 1 Corinthians there. And he's trying to make a point. He's saying, look, people, friends, my beloved, my church, my bride. (laughs) He's saying, look, I am a God of order. You cannot look into the universe or the stars and see how orderly they are. And they always are in the same place, always in their rotation in the season. You cannot look at the eyeball and see it's magnificent as it takes in rays of lights and bounces them off, off of everything and, and, and the lenses and, the, and gives you sight. You can't take look at an ear and see it bringing in the sounds, the neurons and the, I think it's, I think it's neurons and, and neutrons and stuff, bounce off the ear and, 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 and tell your brain what you are hearing. And you look, and, and yes, I understand the, the second law of thermodynamics, entropy, everything is breaking down because of the curse. I get all that. But you still can't look at God's creative order and say, wow, chaos. God is a God of order. God, God, is, God is a God of perfect dis, uh, order. Because look at a DNA molecule. You get one chromosome or one little thing off in that DNA molecule, you will have a dis, disabilities in a child. That's where we get Down syndrome and everything else. And so we look at God and, 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 and you can't look at his DNA. You can't look at anything that he has created and not say, wow, God, you are a God of perfect order. Yet even though you're a God of perfect order, when it comes to my marriage, I'm not going to trust you. I'm not going to believe Christ, you're the head of man. Man, you're the head of woman. Woman, I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to trust you, Lord, when you say, wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord in everything. I'm not going to trust you in that, God. I'm not going to follow that, Lord. I'm, matter of fact, I might even cut it out of my Bible. And, and we have to understand, in heaven, in the community of the triune Godhead, there is perfect order and there is an authority structure of submission even in that God is the head of Christ. Christ sent the Holy Spirit who always, and I mean always, and this is how you can tell if somebody's uh, abusing the experience over the Holy Spirit. He always points to Christ. And so if you see those churches that are out there pointing saying the Holy Spirit's pointing to them or, or, or an experience or something else, rather than pointing to Jesus, you can go, bam, your, your theology and doctrine meter should start revving up. And so in the community of the triune Godhead, there is submission, there is love, there is community, there is this beautiful thing, God over Christ, Christ sending the Holy Spirit who always points to Christ, And then he says something simple. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Now I'm going to unpack that love thing. It's a ten times huger responsibility uh, because there's three things that he tells the husband. He tells them, he tells them to uh, uh, love their wives 
sacrifice, serve, and die. Okay? We'll look at that next week. He tells the wives, submit and respect. Here's, yeah. There's a lot that can be said there, right? Jesus loves his church. This is why. Let me, let me explain it to you. The church is the bride of Christ, right? It was purchased with his blood. He bought you so that you could be at the marriage supper of the Lamb with him. And, and, and so this is why it's most important that we get this. Because it is the most important relationship on earth, according to the Bible. The, the most important relationship in heaven is that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That you've given yourself to Jesus Christ. The second most important relationship is when Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, purchases his church, which is me and you, and we become the bride of Christ. And so when a dysfunctional marriage happens, it is, it is, a, it is a, a picture of or a reflection of how we are not obeying God and his will and his word and his ways in regards to the picture of Jesus and his church or the bridegroom and the bride. That's why it is so important we get this right. And because of his great love for the bride, he purchased her, dying on the cross. What should we be willing to give in our marriages? And guys, if you cannot submit to the living God, it is, a, it is, a, it is a, a direct correlation of you not trusting the character of God. Can we trust the character of God and can we trust his word? <laughs> I believe we can trust God. Let me, let me list some things that God has done for us. His character. I mean, we could teach on his character and attributes for months on end, right? Years. But he is patient and long-suffering with us. He is loving towards us. He is always forgives us. He always has our good in mind. He is caring. He is considerate. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is understanding. He is for us, not against us. We are always on his mind. He doesn't make that you earn his righteousness and favor. It is a free gift. He is tenderhearted and showers us with his everlasting loving kindness. Can you trust the character of God? He saw our dilemma and he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross for us. You can trust him. And you may not be able to trust your husband, but you can trust God. My friend Shelly Thompson, she was my uh, personal assistant when I planted the church in Idaho, and her husband Scott was my uh, discipleship and small group pastor. He was one of my elders and still is probably my uh, uh, top three best friends to this day. And she came to Christ. And he got more and more hostile towards her. He drank more and more. He was a commander at, at the sheriff's department in San Luis Obispo. 
uh, over on the central coast in California, and, and he became more and more hostile and more and more angry. And she read in First Peter that, that, uh, that, that she could have a gentle and quiet spirit, that, that even if some don't obey the, the, obey the, uh, the Lord... And so she humbled herself and she submitted and she just continued to serve him and sacrifice and love him. And he became more and more aggro and said more and more hurtful things and more and more horrible to him. And then one day a couple of his buddies invited him to go to this camp and it was a marriage camp and he, and he reluctantly went and he drank all the way up and, and he was in this, uh, this camp at Hume Lake in, in the, the foothills of California and the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of him and he looked over at his wife and he goes, you know what, I, I don't know. I've never seen you love me more. And he ran forward and accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior and became my elder and my pastoral care pastor and my, 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 one of my best friends in the whole wide world that I can trust him. He trusts God and loves God. But God restored their marriage and all she did is she obeyed 1 Peter 3. That even if some don't obey the word, submit under them, care for them, love them. Because God's economy is truth. And when God asks us to do things, it's for our own good. And what he's going to do out of that is he's going to bless us. I would even say, he says, try me and see. Test me. I stand on the promise of my word. I do not lie. And, and I, I love that about the Lord. He's so good. He's so faithful. And if you have trouble submitting, then you have problems with God. You have trust issues, my friends. And we all submit under the authority of something. How many of you stopped at a traffic light on your way here, right? When I got in my car wreck, they were about ready to operate on my in, inside. My stomach was in my esophagus. My intestines were on my collapsed lung. I had a four-inch rip in my diaphragm, and I was just completely messed up. My whole body was broken in a million pieces. And as I was laying there on the table, the, the, the two surgeons, the anesthesiologists, and the four nurses begin to fight and argue. No, I'm not, I'm not obeying you. And, and I went out like this. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Could you imagine? That the anesthesiologist is arguing with the, 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 the head surgeon and the, and the nurses are telling the head surgeon they're not going to obey him. And, and all of a sudden there's this crucial thing where they got me open and they're putting me back together. All of a sudden they're fighting and arguing and, 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 and the, the nurse won't submit. And the, I mean, could you imagine the chaos, right? Or what about when you're in an airplane, right? All of a sudden the co-pilot's not going to do what the pilot's going to do, tells them to do. Now, I mean, think about it, right? There is an authority structure set up for us to follow. We all submit constantly. And yet, wives, the, the, the idea of submission and respecting your husband, well, he doesn't deserve my respect. You don't deserve God's favor and grace and mercy and love, yet he gives it freely. Again, I'm going to Make sure your husbands don't skip out next week. That's all I got to say. Because we have three. Serve, love, die. Right? God will fight for your marriage. I'm going to let you ladies in on a little secret, okay? What do we need? What, what do us men need? 
If your husband's never told you before, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to break it down for you. And while I'm breaking it down for you, what I want you to do is I want you to, everything I say, I want to, you're, you to give yourself a score. And then we're going to look at your score. And then after you give yourself the score, we're going to ask your husband if those scores are right. Just kidding. Okay, you guys ready? I'm going to, women, pay attention. Because this is what we need. We need to feel appreciated. We need to feel validated. We need to be encouraged. We need to feel like that you're happy that you married us. <laughs> we need to feel like everything that we've tried to do, even when we fail, you're going to be there for us and, and come alongside of us and encourage us. And I was just one couple in my office one time. This guy comes in, he's just, man, he's just all beat up. He had, he, he, he'd had conflict at work, and, and, and he had lost his last job, and he was sitting there, and he's just barely, and they get in my office, and, and, and she just starts railing him for this conflict he had at work. You know, if I have a conflict, when I come home and I share it with my wife, the first thing that she does for me is pray for me, lays her hands on me and begins to pray for me. And that's the problem. A lot of women don't appreciate the pressure that we're under because we have to provide for our kids. And there's insurance and there's car payments. And when the car breaks down, why, you know, I don't know about you. Maybe some of your wives worry about it, but it's on us and everything is on. It seems to be sometimes that everything in a family, the provision, the, 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 the work, the, everything. I mean, everything seems to be on our shoulders. And we need to know that you're there for us and not against us. And we need to know that you're praying for us. And we need to have you allow us to lead. We don't need a mother. We need a wife. And I understand some of those guys need act like they need mothers. I get it, right? But maybe it's because... You want us to grow and you want us to lead, but you are constantly moderating, moderating and judging and our spirituality, our prayer life, our leadership abilities. And what man can grow under that kind of scrutiny? What man can grow under that kind of pressure? We need to feel like you honor us and that you appreciate all the things that we try to do. That you trust us. We need to feel respected and supported. We need to feel honored. You have to understand something that God has put in us. This, uh, this desire to work hard to make something of ourselves so that we can share that with our families and our grandkids. That, we, that God has put us in a satisfaction meter that we have to provide. And that we will go to great lengths to do so. Not my husband. Well, there's another scripture in the Bible that says that if you don't work, you don't eat. And those that are unwilling to take care of their family, this is for the men, by the way. And those that are unable to take care of their family are worse than an unbeliever. An infidel is the actual Greek word there. 
But like I said, I'm going to beat up on them next week. And you guys remember the story of Job, right? Job was the godliest man on the planet at the time and the richest man on the planet. He had sheep and cattle and goats and, and, and lambs and, 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 and ten kids. And he was, he was the, people would come to him for wisdom and counsel. And then one day Satan is walking in heaven and, say, and God says, Have you considered my servant Job? That's one of those scriptures you're like, Really, God? Come on, man. Oh, man, please. Good thing I'm enough of a sinner. He doesn't say, hey, have you considered my servant Garrett, right? <laughs> and what happens is, is he, he goes, yeah, okay, you can do it. And he goes, no, because you have a hedge around him. And God says, and Satan says, well, take the hedge away. He goes, okay, you can do, do whatever you need to do. Just don't take his life. And the interesting, here's how the story goes for you that are new at the Bible. Satan comes down. He kills his camels. He kills his his livestock. Everything. All his servants. And he leaves one servant to come back and 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 report it to Job, right? And so he comes back and he, every time you know, and he and he rips his clothes and 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 um and Satan he never curses God. And then so Satan goes back up and says, "Well, you know, you've not allowed me to afflict him." He goes, "Well, you can afflict him, just don't kill him." So now he gives him boils. And sends his three friends to say, what kind of sin are you? And all this is happening to you because you're in some kind of sin, Job, and blah, blah, blah. And all this craziness is going on, right? But here's something very interesting that Satan didn't do. Took everything from him, laid him in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, a pile of ash with affliction, physical affliction, boils, and he was laying there dying. He never curses God. He says, blessed I came, naked I came, naked I will go, blessed be the name of the Lord. But here's the crazy part. Satan didn't kill his wife. And his wife comes up to, to Job and goes, why don't you just curse God and die? He's probably like, really, Lord? Don't be like Job's wife. Cracks me up. I, I'm sure he, Satan knew that if he pushed far enough that the wife would even come against her husband. Don't know what happened. I was wondering why everything looked kind of crazy. So the question may be asked, what kind of wife are you? Proverbs 21.9 says, better to live on the corner of a rooftop than to share a house with a nagging wife. Proverbs 21.19 says, better to live in a wilderness than with a nagging and hot-tempered wife. <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield says this, he says, my wife and I were happy for 20 years, then we met. <laughs> I'm closing. And men, you guys aren't the king of Tonga. Just breaking it down for you, okay? You're not to sit on the couch with your clicker and a beer while she fans you, okay? But we'll get to that next week. We're to serve and love our wives. Here's the key to a happy marriage. They're, they're achievable. Learn to love one another. Learn to serve one another. Husbands ought to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And wives are to submit to and respect their husbands. 
Here's some closing inspiration by J.R. Miller. He says, in the last analysis, a home's happiness depends on the wife. Her spirit gives the home its atmosphere. Her hands fashion it to make its beauty. Her heart makes its love. And the end is so worthy, so noble, so divine that no woman who has ever been called to be a wife and has listened to that call should consider any price too great to pay. To be the light, to be the joy, to be the blessing, to be the inspiration in the home. Proverbs 31.10 Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Friends, give God a chance. Be patient. Commit yourself afresh to your marriage relationship. Come in and see one of us here for counseling. Ask God for faith. Pray for your spouse. Surrender under God's word. Compliment each other. Bless each other. Serve each other. Thank each other. Be intimate with each other physically, spiritually, relationally, emotionally. The Bible is very clear that we're not to forsake one another except for times of prayer and fasting. And why? It's because you'll let Satan get in there. We're to give each other to each other fully. Your body is not your own. It belongs to your spouse. And either you're going to obey that or not. It's God's word, not Garrett's words. My wife and I have an agreement that I can wake her up at 3 in the morning. Because we do not want to allow Satan anywhere in our house, in our family, in our relationship. But I love her enough that she doesn't mind being woken up at three in the morning. Listen, it took 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years to get in the situation you are to allow the dysfunctional in, dysfunction in there and to tear it down. So start fresh. Give God a chance. You can either choose to trust your husband or you can choose to trust your wife or you can make them earn it. But remember, God doesn't make us earn anything. Trust in the cross. Amen? And don't let your husbands play hooky next week. <laughs>